Hello everyone, my name is Terry Roy, and I am the host over at Faithful Film Finag, where I review movies. I have always loved movies, I've always been awe-inspired, and I've always just rambled and rambled on about movies. Even drove people crazy, even my family, they're always telling me, stop talking about movies. To think about something else, talk about something else. And so I'm here to, today to show you and the world my passion for movies. I'll be right back after this short break. Is it recording? Yeah, it has a, and I hit continue. All right. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. So um, that must have been pretty exciting to have shared a scene with Harrison Ford in Hollywood Homicide. Yes, it really was. He was actually a really nice guy. And I remember the first part where my agent called me and told me that he submitted me and the casting office wanted to see me for this role. And then I looked, it's, he goes, don't get upset. It's a maid. I'm like, oh, I'm so tired of playing a maid. It's so stereotypical. I'm a graduate from college with high honors and here I am. And then he goes, and I'm going on about why I didn't want to be a maid. And he goes, this way Harrison Ford. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to work with Harrison Ford. And so it was my chance to meet him. So basically I looked at it as I'm getting paid to meet him. And yeah. so that was okay. I'm getting paid to meet him. Um, it was really fun on the set. Him and Josh Hartnett were really sweet. And uh, I have one other actor that behind the scenes, it's, we kept talking. Uh, Keith uh, David? No, no. Uh, Bruce Greenwood? Oh <laughs> the, the, He's been around forever. He was in Mission Impossible and his name just slips my mind. He passed away a couple years ago. Oh, was um, he the uh, guy that you were uh, made for in the movie? Yes, yes. I forget uh, his name, but I know I you know. talk about. <laughs> and he was the nicest guy and he had all these stories behind the scenes of what, what happened. And let's see, I, because he's, he's huge. He's a very famous actor and has so much history and we would just talk while we were in makeup and hair about all the movies that he was in and <laughs> what he did and he had all these little tidbits I loved him and also while we were on the set uh, we had a party which is called the rap party after right. a movie and normally you don't get many other celebrities to come and join in but he happened to be there and it was really great to see him and for the life of me Martin Lando. Yeah, that's him. Martin right. Landau. I was yeah, trying to find a, him. He was in, in so many films. I mean, the man has an amazing history. Mission Impossible was what I mainly remember him from because I was a little kid when that TV show was out. But he was really, really nice behind the scenes. And um, the film didn't do very well in reviews. But what I found out later when I saw... Um, a talk with Ron Sheldon, the 
director and co-writer of the movie was that they didn't have enough time to really finalize the script because, and I'm just going to throw this out there, I forget exactly the dates, but let's say he pitched it in March or April, and then they said, okay, we'll do it in August. So he thought he had a whole year plus a couple months. And he goes, no, this August, because that's when Harrison Ford is available. So they were like tweaking it while they were uh, uh, directing it. And it was just a nice set of people to work with. I was very honored to work with them. It seemed like it'd been a very fun movie to be in. But it was. <laughs> it uh, didn't really seem like a movie you could watch more than once. I mean, it kind of. Yeah, it, it was being written while it was being shot. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, you really need a lot of prep time before you do a film. And yeah. because of availability for the actors, they had to really rush it and do it earlier. And I thought of most of the sub stories in the movie are kind of lame. And I wish it would have centered more on the centered story instead of adding so many tidbits. Yeah. And, you know, you got it was like trying to save it because you have so many well-known people wanting to do it because that's I mean, they had a lot of great people in that film. Yeah. And so you had to give each one a story. But, you know, yeah, it was you really need to have time to write. That's the thing about writing it. You really have to give it time. You have to put it away and then be able to pick it up with fresh eyes. Yes, and see what works and what doesn't. And they didn't have the opportunity to do that. It seemed like a very um, messy combination of Law and Order and Rush Hour, like trying to be both in sense of funny, but seriousness. Yeah, yeah. And they, they really just, it's, it's a shame because it was such a nice uh, cast and it was so much fun on the set. And uh, the rap party was really nice. You know, just have a bunch of nice people working together. And sometimes that doesn't work out. The same thing happened with A Happening of Monumental Proportions. It's uh, one of the films I did. And it had Common in it. It had just so many celebrities in it. Um, But, you know, it was a lot of fun to work on the set. Everybody was extremely wonderful, but it also did not get good reviews, even though it was really nice to be with them. I uh, read somewhere that Harrison Ford said this was his least favorite movie to work on. Oh, really? See, I was only there for two days, so oh, okay. <laughs> I can't speak past the two days that I was there, you know, because that's the, on the unfortunate part, you know, so, like sometimes I've worked on a week uh on a project right but you're there for a couple hours and then you leave so you don't know what goes on behind the scenes and that's true it might it might have been because the script was changing you know constantly and you had to work on it when you don't have the script ready and Ron Sheldon is an excellent uh writer and director he did Bull Durham he did many other films that were excellent and when you have someone that is that good at writing and it still doesn't work out then it's it's a time issue right for sure yeah 
I thought it was really funny, though, because I thought that Harrison Ford and Josh Hartnett had good chemistry, but according to IMDb, they didn't really like each other while filming. Like, oh, behind. <laughs> I, I, I had the scene. I had the scene with both of them, <laughs> and I didn't see any animosity or anger. You know, they All were right. just doing their job. But like again, I was only there for two days, so. Um, and just because something says one thing doesn't make it true, so. Yeah, and it, and it could be, you know, uh, they had a bad scene, maybe they couldn't work it out. And when people say it's difficult, you don't know if it's because the people are difficult or the crew is difficult or the scene was difficult. You don't know which part of it is what affects the film and, and their perception or idea of it. That's true. It's kind of always been curious how come Josh Hartnett doesn't really do a whole lot of movies since he's a good actor, though. Like, he hasn't done a whole lot after this one, I don't think. Yeah, I think he did seven, not seven. He did um, oh, the one about where he it was about a hitman. It was kind of a quirky film, but yeah, he's such an excellent actor. I don't know why. I mean, he uh, moved to Minnesota, I believed, I believe. So I, and he was doing theater for a while, but I don't know. Sometimes people get burnt out on the yeah. industry. Yeah. They don't know what they're actually going through or, you know, he, some people just, there was one really well, uh, popular actress and she was on a lot of TV shows before. She didn't want to be an actress. She just wanted to, she wanted to be a news reporter. That was more her, her dream. And so she left acting and took the only news reporting job that she was offered uh, as a being an anchor. She wanted to be an anchor. Okay. But, you know, sometimes you just get burnt out on that. We don't know their story that's true mm -hmm. but um when i did work on um happening in monumental proportions that one i I'll, I'll tell you i one of my favorite people is common and he was in this he worked the same days i did and i always wanted to meet him so i but what they would do is and then this is, happens on a lot of sets they want to keep the set clear of people so they can work and not have a lot of people on the set. So after I did my scene, they said, okay, now you go to your set, back to your um, trailer. And I'm like, okay. I go, when am I going to meet Common? They keep sending me to my trailer <laughs> so that he could do his roles. And so I told everybody that would listen. I told hair people, the hair and makeup. I told wardrobe. I go, I really want to meet Common because our days are, we work together. And he was so nice. As I'm coming out to do another scene from my trailer, he was outside waiting. And he says, you play Rosa. I go, yes, I do. And I said, I've been wanting to meet you. He was really kind. We talked for a while. And then I had to go on the set, but I got to meet Common. Because he actually cool. came to my trailer to uh, say hello, which was really kind. Yeah. You don't get you don't get that all the time. I've been lucky that most of the set the times I've been on a set, people have been very nice. There have been a couple of experiences that weren't as nice. Right. Um, you know, uh, being with people can be standoffish or right. um, they, you know, they make sure like you 
staying in a place or I was on a set where people were arguing and, and I had nothing to do with any of it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just listening and I'm in the middle going, oh my God, I do not want to get involved with this. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh yeah. And it was funny because one of them would see me on the, uh, you know, at a certain place and be complaining about the other person. Then I'd go and I, I would just say, understand, you do not want to get into gossip when you are on a set. I mean, right. that, that is the kiss of death for an actor to get into that. Right. And uh, then when I would go to another spot, the other person would say, blah, you know, complain. I'm like, I understand. That's all I want to say. I understand, right. but I am not, I'm not going to give you, you know, any ammunition for the other or, or just even get involved. Didn't you uh, do a movie with uh, Christian Bell? Um, yes yes and uh he his was so much fun <laughs> he uh you know i and the funny thing is here i am doing a, a role it was called um harsh times and it's pretty harsh to film so i didn't you know it, the title's <laughs> like perfect for it it's a little more violent than i like to but i get to play and this is really the opposite i'm always doing something nurturing my characters are always like nurturing so I've gotten to be a maid, a housekeeper, well, a housekeeper is a maid, a housekeeper, a prostitute, a madam. Now that I'm older, I'm a madam. <laughs> yeah, I played a madam on the, the unit, but I played a prostitute in harsh times. And they really wanted me to look super cheesy. So they, one of the things they gave me was a gold tooth, but the thing kept falling out of my mouth and I didn't want to swallow it and I go up to the director David Ayer who has done so many incredible films he also wrote uh Training Day he was a writer before he okay. started directing and this was his first uh, his directorial debut and I'm like I really didn't want to wear that damn thing and so I put it in my mouth I go I, I can't talk with the thing in my mouth and I couldn't because I had to keep pushing it up on my tooth and it was a gold tooth and I'm like oh man don't I look like crappy and cheesy enough I'm thinking yeah I'm playing a damn like cheap ass prostitute in this thing it's uh, the gold tooth but he actually knew someone that dressed that way that's why he uh, wanted me to do it but the tooth kept falling in my mouth and I was really afraid that I was going to swallow that thing crazy yeah I mean there's a lot of things that go behind the scenes another thing that happened with that one was they had put these false eyelashes on me with rhinestones on them and this is some of the stuff that you go through on the set I couldn't open my eyes because the rhinestones were so heavy and I'm like okay I, I guess I could get used to this That's <laughs> so crazy. You go, oh yeah and it was in the middle of winter and they had me in that little like nothing outfit. And so I, everybody, if you, if you would look at like the people behind the scenes, they all had parkas on because it was pouring rain in LA and it was like 40 degrees, which is, you know, most people say it's not cold, but for LA that's cold. Right. Um, and so they had like the, the crew had parkas on and here we are with hardly anything, you know, Kristen Bale has his like white beater t-shirt on. <laughs> so and so does you know but then they, they would keep me on my parka and 15 minutes before my scene they would take it off they go we don't want you to look like you have goosebumps so I had to acclimate for 15 minutes before we shot the scene 
Yeah, people don't tell you how how hard it is sometimes to do just the character. Yeah. So of all the uh, different actors you've gotten to work with or talk to, who do you think would have been your favorite? Oh, I really liked working with Christian Bale. I was on that set more days than I was on uh, the other films. I had a really good time. In terms of efficiency, I once did NYPD Blue. Those guys are so efficient. They gave you your time, you went in, you did your part and you were gone. So I worked a half a day, got full, paid for full. Another time, I mean, it's hard for me to say who I really liked. I just, I've, I've been very lucky yeah. to work with people. But Christian Bale really stuck out. And the funny thing is, I didn't know it was Christian Bale when I did the role. <laughs> it's like, I knew he was Christian, but it didn't come up, you know? And he goes, that's Christian Bale. I'm like, that was Christian Bale. <laughs> We just had a really good time on the set. It was really nice. And the guy that played Eddie is a very good friend of mine, Emilio Rivera, and he's on the uh, Mayans. He's a regular on the Mayans. So he was on that movie with me. And it was funny because he goes, you're going to be playing a, we've been, we've known each other since our 20s. So he goes, you're going to be playing a prostitute. That's not your personality. And I'm like, Emilio, it's called acting. <laughs> I should play that I'm not really that way because I'm not. I mean, here I am. I have a meditation website. I write poetry. I'm into the soul. And here I am playing a prostitute. So <laughs> it's all about acting, you know. You some, right. and, and what I like about acting, which I miss it because I haven't really worked a lot. The last thing I did was only a print job, um, which I'm not going to say only because they paid well. So it was a print job. But you get to play who you're not. Right. It, 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 to me, I would love to play like one of the things because I am so the opposite. Like I was at the casting office for one of the Criminal Minds. Uh, oh, that's cool. And the, the, the casting director says, God, you know, you, you play like someone that's so loving and nurturing. And then I turned to her, I go, yes, but wouldn't I make a great serial killer? And then she's like, oh, my God, you would, <laughs> you would, because you wouldn't expect me to, right. I, you know, here I am, a meditator. Uh, I play all nurturing kind of roles because I kind of look that way. But go against the grain, I would have made a great serial killer on that TV show. Now they're all canceled, but they were very interested and they wrote a very nice email to my casting office. I mean, to my agents telling them how much they really liked me and that they were going to keep me in mind for the set for the next season. But then they got canceled. So I didn't that go sucks. for next season. Oh, yeah. So many shows that I I mean, I've I've been hired for a role. I was told I had it told I had it. Waited for the contract for the film. A week passes. I still don't have the contract. So my agent calls up and says, where's her contract? And he goes, oh, the producers decided to offer it to somebody else. You know, I, I like somebody with a name. That's usually who you lose out to, especially if you're making a film. Right. They need a name and I'm not a name, but the director really wanted me and they told me I had the job, but obviously this person took the job. So, um, because they actually said, well, if they don't want it, Sonia's still our choice. I'm like, 
really? Kind of don't want to say yes to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, because it's like, wait a minute, you know, but that stuff happens all the time. And so part of me doing my own podcast and doing um, one of my poetry books, uh, one of the producers from a movie that I worked on called Expired, we're writing a treatment for uh, a movie that comes out of that, my book, Follow Akashic Dreaming Through Time. So the pandemic has really slowed us down with that. Yeah. So um, I'm glad everything's going back to normal. Well, at least the normal that we know. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm uh, happy to just be around people again. Yeah. And the weird thing is you can still catch it even if you're vaccinated. You just won't get sick. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that's the good thing. So what got you interested in acting? I was a singer for a long time. And a friend of mine many years ago, a friend of mine many years ago, told me that he would give me free acting lessons because he had a heart attack and he couldn't leave the house. So he, cause he couldn't drive cause he would get upset and can't get upset if you just had a heart attack. So he invited me and gave me free acting lessons. And then he referred me to an acting teacher who was really great and his name just slipped my mind, Ed K. Martin. Okay. And he passed away, may he rest in peace. But I went into that class and I had Renee Russo was in that class with me. And I, I walk in, I'm like, oh my God, these are famous people that I'm in class with. That's how good he was. And I was so honored to have him take me on right. as a student. And what was sad, because I, I was about to give up acting, because it hasn't been easy for me in terms of booking a lot. And I really wanted to make it my life uh, career. But if you look at most career people you, in SAG, only less than 5% make a living off of acting. Right. But uh, he did call me from his deathbed, which made a big influence on me. And he said, don't give up. You're very talented. Keep going. And I did it. Every time I tried to quit, I would hear his, his voice saying, oh, he got me trapped into things. <laughs> That's crazy. I want to quit. And then I, I keep hearing his voice say, don't give up. But I just switched it. I took, because under acting, you have TV, film, theater, voiceover, print work. There's so many things that fall under acting. That I said, well, let me see about doing more voice, print. Theater is hard because you go into rehearsals for a long time. I was rehearsing. I was auditioning for In the Heights, which not the movie. Would have loved to have been in the movie. But (laughs) the the, uh, theater performance that happened here in Thousand Oaks. And it's a big theater, so... And I went and audition. I rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed with my voice teacher. And he says, if you come back and you don't hit the right note on this song, you're dead. I'm like, oh, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. He goes, because they're going to wait for you to hit this one note. And if you don't hit it, you're done. And I'm like, okay. So I rehearsed and rehearsed. And when I went into the audition, he was right. I auditioned. And then I came in and I hit the note right on and they went, yes. 
So I'm like, they were, he was absolutely right. They were waiting for me to hit that one note and they were going to judge my entire performance on that one note. And it went great. Now I didn't get that one because someone that already did the tour for In the Heights was available. And honestly, if I was producing it or directing it, I would, I would take somebody that already did the show. It would make my life easier. So I understood that one. But the rehearsals for that were mind-numbing. <laughs> they were every day. And they, every single day, and I wouldn't get home. And I was still working. So I had to work a regular job because you don't make a lot of money in theater, especially for rehearsals. And it was, I'm like, oh. so when I didn't get, I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> I would have had maybe five hours of sleep for a month every day. And I, I don't know if I could have handled that because I had to still work and then go to rehearsals afterwards. What got you interested in meditating? Um, I had foot surgery and I, had, I keep putting off meditation. I kept putting it off because... Every time I tried, I kept going into my to-do list. It's, I, I try to quiet the mind and then it's like, okay, well, this happened yesterday and this happened today and I have to do this. And then tomorrow this is going to go, I couldn't quiet my mind. And so I kept trying, I kept working at it. I kept doing it. I wasn't trying because I was actually doing it. I kept working on it until I found the aha moment where I was actually able to quiet my mind. And how I was able to quiet it was listening to other guided meditations. Right. And by listening to guided meditations, and I found a wonderful app called Insight Timer that has thousands of meditations and they're all free. Cool. It's, and so since I had gotten surgery on my foot, it wasn't even a big surgery, but I got ill off of it. And so I started meditating and meditating and and I fell in love with it because I was finally able to understand how it worked and for anybody out there that wants to get into meditation just listen to a guided one and hopefully a visualization one and if you do have stress breathing ones are very easy to do because all you're doing is breathing in breathing out and holding it and it does calm you and I use it for my writing as well when I can't come across a line, in fact, I'm having a live event on July 17th that I'm uh, doing the script for. Okay, cool. And it has to do with a story starts with one line. And as a writer, you just make up a line. And like, I went to the store, you know, and you, you do a, a little bit of meditation. Like I went to the store. That's boring. Who cares? We all go to the store. We all run errands, right? But the story that you can come up with is only unique to you. What did you see when you walked to the store? What did you feel when you walked to the store? And right. then you start writing that and you could come up with a whole story just on walking to the store. Right. You could see it was raining. What was the, you know, was it hard to get there? Did your car break down? Did you meet someone along the way? Did you go shopping and make, you know, we all do make these comments. It's like, I'm not buying this because you read the ingredients or <laughs> you uh, just buy it and you don't read the ingredients because you know it's got a lot of crap in it, but you still <laughs> want to eat it. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So 
it's an experience and that experience is only for you. And so that's how you can start a story. And if you have one line of one idea of the, of a story, you could start the whole thing from there because only you can visualize it as you. Now, how I'm doing this live class is I'm including a meditation. I'm going to give them a prompt line because, you know, going to the store is not exactly a good prompt line for a meditation app. Um, But I'll give them another prompt that has to do more with the soul or something that might bring up an experience. And I always try to bring up a positive experience. But when I'm stuck on my writing and I can't come up with the first or the last line, which is usually the problem, you have the core of the story, but how do you begin it and how do you end it? And my, um, I have an interview that's with Sheree Adams who talks about even when you write a memoir, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And it's hard for people to write them because their life is still going, but you have to pick a point in your life where you want to end that story. Right. You know, there's a saying in, in film, how do you make a happy ending on a film? It depends on where you end the story. Because, That's you know, true. You have, yeah, because you have love stories and, and they go on and, and you see sequels and now they're divorced, but it was a love story in the first one. <laughs> and now they're just friends and they're divorced on the second one. So it just depends on, you know, you want to create a feeling or you want to create something. It just depends on where you end the story. What uh, led you to start your own podcast? Was it the Uh, pandemic or? Part of it, yes, it was the pandemic. I've been wanting to do a podcast for years, but I didn't want to do one about acting. I wanted to do one about that, that can help everybody. And I said, you know, I'm sitting at home doing nothing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing anything for society. So I'm not, how can I do something for society where I include people, even those that I do not agree with? Right. Yeah, I do not. And how can I make them be happier? How can I make them be more accepting of the self? And so I started looking at the psychology of it. And I saw so much fear in people during the pandemic and heartache and anger and all of that. And I said, you know what, if we can start from ourselves, accepting ourselves, then our world is going to be better because our perceptions are going to change. My perceptions with acting have totally changed. I went from wanting to be famous with it. I don't want to be famous with it now. It would be nice to make money with it. But I wanted that. I wanted it to be my livelihood. And now I, I don't know if I want it to be my livelihood because I branched out. I still love it. I'd be lying if I didn't. I love being on a set and meeting people and doing your job. And it, that's exciting for me. Right. My perception changed where I accepted I'm probably not going to make a living. I'm still doing the same thing I was doing before the pandemic, before I had this perception. I let go of that. Now, I still do self-taping. I still audition. I still do everything I was doing before. Nothing has changed but my perception. And it made it easier to really enjoy acting again 
because I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Because it wasn't where you wanted to go to? Exactly. I wasn't making a living at it. I really wanted more. I have a lot of friends that are working, have, have series regulars, that are series regulars. And I've said, why am I getting passed over? And so I let go of all of that. And it really helped that I, again, hired for another job. They told me I had it. They had me come in like three times to the audition. And then they decided to recast the character. And what upset me about recasting the character was that I asked them, does this person, is she afraid of this other person or not? Because I could play it both ways. And they said, no, she's not afraid of them. And then what did they change it to? I mean, that she is afraid of her. And then they changed it to, she is not. So they recap, I'm like, I asked <laughs> in the audition. But what I realized with that audition, even though it really broke my heart because I was so looking forward to it, I, they told me I had it. And um, was that I realized I'm a desperate actor. And when I realized that I was a desperate actor, I'm like, oh no, I don't ever want to be desperate for anything in my life. I want to enjoy it. I want to have joy with it. I want to, I love meeting people. I like talking to people. I like knowing what people are about, but I wasn't going to be that anymore. And that really helped me move my perception because I realized myself, I wasn't blaming anybody else. I was blaming me for being desperate. And that is like the, the kiss of death when you're desperate in anything, when you're desperate for a relationship or job, a livelihood or money. People that get desperate for money don't think about how they affect others or anything like that. So knowing I was blessed to know that I was a desperate actor and then I could change because I didn't know I was. Have you always considered yourself a poet? Oh, yeah. I No, well, I've been writing poetry since I was a little kid, but it was never really for anybody else but myself. I would write it and put it in a drawer. And not until recently did I decide to edit those that poetry. I rewrote a whole bunch of it. I lost a lot of it when I was a teenager because I'm from Chicago, the Windy City. <laughs> and I had all my poetry in a binder. I dropped the binder in an area that was called Six Corners in Chicago. It's where Milwaukee and Damon and Division meet. I think those are the three streets. It fell, the wind blew, and all my poetry that I had up to that point disappeared. That's, that sucks. Oh, it does. It does. And I, uh, but you know, I wasn't meant to keep it. So I always feel that things happen for a reason. I mean, what are your chances of dropping all your history of poetry in a, in a very windy city that you drop it and the, the binder uh, rings opened and everything just flew out of it. So I've been writing it for a long time, but I think that I, I didn't think I was good enough to call myself a poet. So I think with my first book, getting an editor, having her work with me, I really felt like, oh, okay, I can call myself a legit poet now. I wasn't legit before because it wasn't who read it. Nobody. It was in a drawer. 
Yeah. So, um, and I think people would should really always use an editor because I've read books. I like reading self um, self published because I think everyone deserves a chance. But damn, I mean, the, my biggest complaint with self publishing is a lot of people don't use uh, editors, and you need editors. You really right. do. Because I'll read something, I go, they didn't use an editor. There's so <laughs> many grammatical mistakes. There's so many. And I mean, even with using an editor, you could find mistakes. And, um, but yeah. Not as many. <laughs> not as many. There was one guy that wrote, I swear, someone must have wrote the summary of the book for him. It was right up my alley. I love sci-fi and things that deal with the mind and all of that kind of stuff. Like, um like sci-fi thrillers or something, but, and I, and the summary was amazing. So of course I clicked on it and I bought it. It was <laughs> not a good book. It was so redundant, like um, something as simple. And then an editor would catch this as the sun came up. It was sunrise. Really? Sunrise is the sun coming up. So it was being redundant. And he had a whole paragraph of this. And I'm like, oh my God, nobody edited this. And he had a fabulous story, but it needed editing so bad. It just, and then I started thinking, is English a second language to this guy? Because there was too much redundancy, you know? Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I, I advise if you're gonna write poetry and poetry editors are harder to find than regular editors, but at least have someone look at it, even an English English teacher or someone that can look at it and and give you their uh, their influence or edit it for you. There's some people that are English majors that are willing to edit a book to get the credit. So it just depends and you want someone that's good. Right. Your uh, first book, uh, Perspective Me Raw, were those poems you wrote as a kid that you saved or did you just all rewrite those or what were those? Uh, Inspire Me Raw started with um, when I had the surgery, I was going out of my mind. I have foot surgery. It's not like major surgery, but I couldn't <laughs> drive because this was my right foot. Okay. So I was bound to the house. I had to use crutches. I ended up having to use them longer because I did um, I guess I didn't get an actual infection, but I had like the flu at the same time. So I couldn't do that. And I couldn't take the painkillers. They gave me these painkillers that made me so sick, which didn't help. I think that probably kicked it into it. Um, I ended up using over the counter, you know, like holistic things like ginger to take away the pain. But at that point, I, I just kept writing. I kept writing poetry and just kept writing and writing and writing. And that's how I came up with that book. And I do have a lot of poetry because I, I found one of my old poetry books. I used to also be a punk rocker. So I wrote lyrics at that time and worked with Devo and this other band that, um, uh, what was her name? The Fibonacci's. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, and those were the punk days. So I'm dating myself right now. But I have that stuff. And I, again, never edited. The, the lyrics that I wrote was just really made to match, fit the music. Right. But that was what I, what I did. I, I, I started writing recently after the surgery. 
And they were raw emotions because everything, one of the things that people don't tell you when you meditate, and this might, I hope I don't scare people off to meditation, is that all the things that you didn't want to deal with, they start coming more to the surface. But if you keep meditating, you get past it. Um, and so many emotions that I thought I dealt with and didn't were coming up. And so I was writing poetry and kept writing. And pe some people do artwork. Some people go for walks. Some people work out. Some people uh, dance. I mean, it's just we all have different outlets. You know, I've seen, I knew a guy that did woodworking when he was stressed and he did nice work. So, you know, my brother works on cars when he's stressed. That's his little go-to thing to do. And he likes to restore cars. Um, and he has a, you know, classic cars is what he likes to do. But it, that's how I started writing the book. And then I had to get an editor because I knew it needed work. Um, so I got the editor and they were raw emotions. So that's hence why it's called Inspire Me Raw. And I have a series of inspire me. Inspire me perception is how we think of things and be it right or wrong in your own head. We have all have right. a, an idea of our perception of it. My next book is called Inspire Me in Time of Need because it's gonna have meditations in it. It's gonna have poetries. It's gonna have stories in it, but it has to do all about how we really needed to get past ourselves during this pandemic. And I think it brought many things to the forefront. All right. I was uh, listening to some episodes of your podcast, mm -hmm. and you seemed very uh, passionate about therapy. I was just curious, are you? Uh, what got you passionate about therapy? What I like about therapy, and I suggest everybody could do therapy. You get an objective percept, uh, an objective reflection of what you say versus subjective because if you tell your friends and family they love you or they know you and they don't want you to change or and going to someone even if you do an app you don't have to go to an actual therapist I write poetry as my therapy and when I'm stuck and I need to do further go further I, I go to a therapist when I need to I don't think the stigma of having one, I think is really dissipating because the pandemic really needed people to talk right. about it. And there are so many, so many apps out there that you can help yourself with that give you more an objective and objective by I me, mean my objective, they're not going to tell you what to do. A therapist will never tell you what to do. They will ask you questions and you answer them yourself. So that's why you could, you know, Go out there and ask questions. If you need help, get it. There's nothing wrong with getting objective, um, an, an objective opinion about what you can do with your life or how, or a new direction. Um, there's, I think there's been just too much. People used to think that if you went to a therapist, you're crazy, but you're not crazy. Right. You just we'll need, need help. yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of programs. Uh, there's a lot of government programs that you can go see social workers and get help. You shouldn't let yourself be, feel ashamed for what you're going through. And I think many times we have a shame in us that we can't tell our family and friends. 
we, we could only tell someone that's not going to be judgmental with us. And that's why I'm very pro-therapy. What was uh, your dream job as a child? Did you always want to be an actress? Yes. I used to always be performing and singing. Um, I, my mom's side of the family, uh, they're all musicians. So I come from a musical family. So music, so singing and playing the piano and all of that was what I loved. And I always liked writing stories. I was always writing stories. Granted, they weren't very good, but I, I wrote a lot of stories. I had a great teacher, um, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Lerner. She was like a hippie. <laughs> so she, yeah, she, she, she was very like hip. And so I was able, she taught me more about poetry. She actually let me know that what I was writing was poetry, which I didn't know I was writing poetry. I was just writing. And, or I might've thought of it as poetry, but she kind of helped me with it. And she also did art and I, I used to like to draw. So she made a big influence on me. When I first started school, I didn't know how to speak English. I, even though born and raised in Chicago, my parents came from Puerto Rico and, you know, they only spoke Spanish. And so speaking Spanish um, at home, I didn't, I, I understood English. I knew how to write English. I learned my alphabet and words in English, but I couldn't speak it. So in second grade, I had a teacher, Mrs. Myers. It's funny, I remember my grade school teachers. I do not remember college. <laughs> I do not remember high school, but I remember my grade school teacher. And um, she put me in a thing called speech class because when I was a little kid there, English as a second language didn't even exist. It was speech class. So they put me in speech class. And then I haven't had a problem since. All right. So does that kind of tie in with your poem, Citizen, where you talk about? Yes. Okay. Yes, because even, you know, it was funny. I wrote that poem like five months before Hurricane Maria happened. And I had friends that I've had for, we're talking decades didn't even know that Puerto Ricans were citizens of the United States. Crazy. And I'm like, yes, we're, we're, that's why that came up because people kept saying, oh my God, I didn't know that you guys were citizens. And one of the funniest things I ever got asked is, tell me, how did your family get here? And I looked at them and go, uh, we hopped on a plane and came over. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need a passport. I mean, now I think everybody needs a passport, even if you're traveling within the US, if you don't have that real license. And I think they delayed that till... Uh, later this year. But um, yeah, I had a friend of mine, her father, her father-in-law asked her what the exchange rate in Puerto Rico was. And she's like, the American dollar? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's a total, it's a commonwealth. Every, you know, it's the American dollar, but it was a um, part of Spain for a long time. So the main language is Spanish still. And for those that might want to know, Guam, people from Guam, I believe, are also American citizens. <laughs> um, but you don't think of, you know, something that's not a state as being an American citizen. Right. But if it's a commonwealth, I mean, there, there's a lot of U.S. 
territories, territories. but they're not U.S. citizens, but Puerto Rico and Guam is. All right. Yeah. Never understood, like, we have so many territories. How come there's not added states? Like, I, I don't get that. Yeah, it's, well, you know, the people of the place have to be, have to vote in being a state. Okay, I didn't know that. And, and many times in, in Puerto Rico, um, they voted, do we want to be a state? Do we want to be the 51st state or not? And half the people don't. And you have to have a certain amount of votes in order to be a state. Okay. And so those votes have come up. Sorry, that would be a turning point in your life. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, what would be a turning point in my life? You know what? I have a poem called Tomorrow. I think I, you know, if I was to die tomorrow, I've done everything I dreamt of doing. I don't think I, I have any regrets because I, like I said, I've accepted who I am. And I think that's core for, if you want to stop being angry, and a lot of times we're angry, but we're really angry at ourselves. Book, and this is probably reverse on you, but it's uh, Inspire Me Perception is my last book. All right. And the poem is called Tomorrow, and I'm sure I've marked it because most people ask me to read it. And is all of your uh, books available on Amazon? All of them are available on Amazon. I've been, and it's from Inspire Me Perception. If I was to die tomorrow, would I have organized my home? Would I have left my paperwork in order? Would I have made it easier for my family? If I was to die tomorrow, would I have followed and completed my dreams? Would I have loved the way I wanted to love? Would I have visited the world like I wanted to? If I was to die tomorrow, would I have told those that I love that I love them? Would I have seen the beauty in my own life? Can I say that I lived my life to its fullest? If I was to die tomorrow, would I have lived today? Would I have loved differently? Would I have felt my life was complete? If I was to die tomorrow, a sadness would be there to know that I wasted so much time afraid of the unknown. If I was to die tomorrow, I would make the unknown known. I'd face the unknown I was so afraid of as I live my life today with strength and joy. That's a really good poem. Oh, here we go. Oh. Forget. Yeah. But here's the poem Forget, and this is from Inspire Me Raw. Sometimes I can't remember, often actually, the times I ran out and said nothing to you. The times I was angry and pretended to be okay. The times I didn't, the times I didn't come home at night. Sometimes I can't remember often actually, when your anger lashes out at me, when you drank too often and hurt me, when you disappeared into an aberrant abyss of time. Sometimes I do remember I, often actually, your cruel words that hurt, your desire to touch that repulses, your anger at who you've become. I remember and choose to forget. Do you love as those you love are hurt? Do you know the emergency room 
a second home? Do you understand the inner scars show more than the ones I wear? Sometimes I can't remember often actually, the raising of happy children here, the life we thought was possible, the comfort of a safe loving home. Sometimes I can't remember often actually, how reality meets exposure, how I've always remembered, how lights slowly dim on you. That was really good. Yeah, heartfelt. I think that's where poetry needs to come from. Yeah. Is from the soul. And the same thing with acting. It's just not a superficial thing. You have to find out, even for the smallest role, who is this character? Right. What, what is their background? Why, why do they speak this way? And a lot of times, if it's a good writer, a good screenwriter, you know from how the line is phrased, right. what the character should be. So do you feel like that was what the Hollywood homicide was lacking? Was it's it, while they were making the movie, they were still trying to figure everything else out. And because I felt like there was no real characters in that movie because like they were still trying to figure out who the characters were. Yeah, and you know, you, you as an actor tell yourself that this is this person, you know. Uh, where can the listeners follow you and subscribe to you at? Um, they can go to poeticresurrection.com or that's where my poetry and my podcast is. And I have my own website, sonialozada.com which I'm rebuilding because I got a new hosting company and my previous one disappeared. <laughs> so I'm rebuilding it. So bear with me. There's not as much there as you could. You can find me on IMDB. You can find me, uh, Google me. You can find me almost anywhere. All right. Uh, thank you again for uh, coming on my uh, podcast and maybe we can do uh, another one in, sometime in the near future. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. No problem. Thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful day. Okay. Good take it off recording? Uh, yeah. If you would like to be the next guest on Faithful Film Fanatic, where I do film reviews, or you'd like to give me a suggestion, something that you may like or did not like. Or hey, if you just want to message me and talk to me about movies. My Facebook is Terry Roy. TikTok, Terry Roy. Instagram, RedHunter underscore 16. Twitter, Faithful Film Fanatic. My Gmail is ffilmfanatic99 at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you guys, and until next time, God bless, and I hope you guys all have a great evening.